You have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Serafine. Hello, my fellow patriots and freedom fighters. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. This is the Liberty Lighthouse episode for Friday, May 29th. And we have uh, a friend of mine is going to join us in the second half of the show. A, a fellow mail carrier, a city carrier. I'm a rural carrier. He's a city carrier, but we won't hold that against him. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, well, some of the reasons that Voting by mail is not the uh, dream solution that our friends on the left seem to think it is. I also want to talk about a gun bill that I saw, well, just as soon as I finished recording uh, last week's episode, so missed the Second Amendment update last week. We'll stick it in here this week. And I want to talk about the lovely, the incomparable, the just perfect public servant of uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. So, I don't know. Without any further ado, let's uh, light this candle. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. With your Liberty Lighthouse keeper. Your beacon of common sense. Your wiki, if you will. Peter Seraphine. We urge you to join the conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646 974 4487 and sign up to be a member at liberty-lighthouse.com. All right, I guess I'll start with uh the gun bill that I totally missed for last week's episode. So, as with all gun episodes and gun stuff, all second amendment related activities, it is being brought to you by Hunter's Warehouse in downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania, and online at hunterswarehouse.net. So the bill that I missed until after recording last week is a House Bill 0768 here in Pennsylvania. It's a bill that would require all firearms, all guns, to be registered with the Pennsylvania State Police. Now, along with your application that you have to swear under oath, you have to submit your fingerprints, two photographs no older than 30 days, and go through a background check for each firearm. And oh, by the way, the background check is the same background check that you probably had done when you bought said firearm. In that application, you need to tell the state police that your, uh, I'm sorry, your name, your home and work addresses, your telephone number, your social security number, your date of birth, your age, sex, and citizenship. That is more information than it is required to vote anywhere in this country. If the state police decide for whatever reason that they're going to reject your application, then you, the citizen, have three days to turn your guns into the state police and 10 days to file an appeal. If you do not file an appeal or turn in your guns within the allotted time, your right to own a gun in the state of Pennsylvania is forfeit. Yeah, your right 
your constitutionally guaranteed right is forfeit. A gun owner cannot transfer any unregistered firearm. And if anyone is caught with an unregistered firearm, they're now guilty of a uh, crime. Even if they're unaware that the gun is unregistered. Even holding an unregistered gun at a shooting range is a crime in this bill. Gun owners must keep all firearms unloaded and disassembled or bound by a trigger lock. Even if you don't have kids in the home. If you don't do those things, you're committing a crime. A gun owner has 48 hours to update the state police if they change their job, their phone number, their address, or anything else on the application. And again, failure to do so is a crime. The registration certificate that you were awarded once you jump through all of these hoops costs $10 per firearm. And they last for one year. So that's $10 per firearm per year. And you have to process your renewal 60 days prior to the expiration of your last registration. So now you have to remember when you registered each of your guns and then like set reminders in your phone to re-register them every year, 60 days prior to, or, you know, they'll probably charge you with some other crime. Now, the good news about this is um, it won't pass. At least I hope it won't, because here's the deal. Even if it does pass, I ain't registering crap. They have a few of, you know, I, I have a handful of guns. I won't say how many, but I have a handful, some of which the state knows about, some of which they do not, meaning some of which I bought at a gun store where there was a license transfer and some of which I didn't because I don't have to in this state. I don't own anything illegal, but I do own some things that the Pennsylvania state government doesn't know about, and I'm going to keep it that way. And if anybody ever comes to my door to force me to register them, there's going to be shooting. Just saying. Other good news about this is other states that have tried these types of things have been wildly unsuccessful. Um, Connecticut tried a registry and they uh, estimated that only 50,000 out of the 350,000 semi-automatic rifles that they in their state were registered. Uh, New Jersey tried to get get it done. And again, there's just tiny fractions of people actually did it. So even if it passes, I won't be the only one saying, uh, no, thank you, Mr. Police Officer. But I wanted to make sure that you were aware of some of the stuff that our Governor Wolf is supporting while we're in COVID lockdown, not paying attention. That brings us to topic number two. As I said, the lovely and incomparable Lori Lightfoot. And if you don't know what I mean by lovely and incomparable Lori Lightfoot, uh, just do an internet search and pull up a picture of her and you will understand that that's sarcasm. Mayor Lightfoot has made it her, I don't know, life's mission to attack churches. Now, granted, they are supposed to be under Wuhan flu quarantine, 
and churches for some reason think that they have a first amendment and continue to hold service anyway. And Lori Lightfoot doesn't like that. Mayor Lightfoot has given citations to several of the churches in the Chicago area. Not a big surprise. Most of those churches have just continued to hold service anyway, and good for them. And by the way, if any of those churches plan on paying those citations, they, no, no, just don't pay them. Don't, don't even think about it. It's unconstitutional. There is no pandemic exception in the constitution for the right to assemble and the right to practice your religion. As I pointed out in a previous episode, uh, the Supreme Court case from 1866, Ex parte Milligan, that clearly states that not the president, not the executive branch, not the judicial branch, nor the legislative branch have the authority to suspend the rights of the people. So anyway, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, she has sent out many of these uh, citations to pastors and churches over the last weekend. Oh, let's go back even before last weekend. Over the last few weekends, Mayor Lightfoot has sent her goon squad out to, uh, I don't put up temporary no parking signs in order to try to stop people from parking and then attending church. And when that failed and all it managed to do was upset the people that lived in the area of the no parking signs, didn't affect the parishioners at all, she realized that most of these churches have agreements with local businesses to allow the parishioners to park in the local businesses' parking lots. So the next weekend she went out and blocked those parking lots so that the parishioners couldn't park in the parking lots. And there's temporary no parking signs on the street parking, so no place for the parishioners to park. However, by this point, most of the pastors had caught on to Mayor Lightfoot's evil plans and warned their parishioners, and service went on as usual. People just walked, shuttled in, whatever. Nobody got a ticket. Not one single parishioner even got a ticket. So when that failed, this is where it gets really, really tyrannical. You know what? Tyrannical. As a matter of fact, we're, we're going full-on tyranny alert at this point. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. So last weekend, Memorial Day weekend, Chicago, Illinois, the south side of Chicago to be a little more specific, three squad cars and two unmarked police cars as Matt and some city officials show up at one of the churches in the south side in an effort to break up the church service going on. And they arrive at the church, and about halfway through the service, the pastor noticed there's a loud banging at the door. That's right, the police were banging on the door of a church. Why were they banging, you might ask? Because it's the south side of Chicago, and the church locks the doors once service begins for the safety of their parishioners. Apparently, Mayor Lightfoot hadn't done that bit of research to find that out, because all of her police were standing outside, beating on the doors of the church. Get that image in your head. Think about that for just a minute. Police officers 
beating on the door of a church in America, the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, and this mayor sent her police to beat on the door of a church. That's just the story from one church. That day, they actually sent the police goon squad out to nine different churches to stop the services. Because, you know, the police in Chicago have all the time in the world to worry about churchgoers violating the stay-at-home orders. What else could possibly have been going on in Chicago on Memorial Day weekend that maybe those police may have been able to help with? Hmm, I don't know. Well, let's see. 49 people were shot in Chicago over Memorial Day weekend. Maybe the police could have helped with that. 10 of those 49 people were shot, died. 10 fatal shootings. 49 people total, 10 of them dead. While three squad cars and two unmarked police cars we're at a church beating on the door to break up service. Nine churches in all sent to be shut down while 49 people were being shot in Chicago. That's priorities there, Mayor Lightfoot. Man, that, that whole situation just makes me mad. I'm not even a religious guy. But this is America. And that is church. That is the First Amendment. That is freedom of religion and the freedom to assemble. And these mayors think that they can not only suspend those things, but they can enforce that suspension with the police while people are being shot in the same town. You know, 200 years ago, that happened in the America that I read about in history books, the America that I'm proud of. 200 years ago, that what would have happened when a mayor did something like that? That mayor would have been drugged out of their home or office, tarred and feathered, and made to run the streets in complete and utter humiliation. Maybe we need to bring that back in America. Maybe we need to put a little fear back in our elected officials because it's obvious that they think that they can do whatever they want. They think that because of this Wuhan flu, and the declared emergency, which I don't even, I'm not even sure that it ever should have been declared an emergency at this point. I have seen so much contra contradicting information. Anyway, they've declared this emergency. They've seized massive amounts of power. And they are fighting and fighting and fighting to keep it. My fellow patriots. My fellow freedom fighters, those of who you listening who really believe that America is the home of the free, those of you who really believe that rights are inalienable, right, you are born free, you are born with rights, and that government is there to protect your rights. We need to do something. I, I don't know what that something is. All of my ideas will, will probably get me killed if I suggest tarring and feathering my governor. I won't get close enough to make it happen. 
But maybe that's what needs to come back. Public humiliation. I don't know. Something. Anyway. Let me calm down for a second here. Okay. Let's move on to the final topic of the day. At least, hopefully, the final topic of the day. The, uh, well, the voting process. Mail-in ballots. Elections. There's a big push to get mail-in ballots right now. Man, like so much so that the state of California just mailed ballots to every registered voter, which was done by the governor, Governor Gavin Newsom, which, read your constitution, people. The U.S. Constitution is very clear that the manner and processes of voting is to be decided by the legislators, the legislature of a state. The governor does not, in any state, have the authority to change the election process by declaration, as Governor Gatham Newsom just did. Then you've got Nancy Pelosi's Heroes Act, where she's trying to make mail-in voting national. Where, all right, I have to be honest, the first time I read that, I thought, no, you can't do that. You don't have the authority in the federal government to regulate the the uh, voting in individual states. But after reading the Constitution again and looking that section over, I can see how an argument can clearly be made that the federal government does have that authority. I don't want to see it happen. I don't think that the federal government should do that, but I could definitely see how an argument could be made. So why? Why the mail-in voting? Why is that such an issue right now? Is it, it can't be the Wuhan flu. They let us go to Walmart and Home Depot and Lowe's and Target and the grocery store and we can't go vote? I, it, it's not a safety issue. It's not. They can pretend that it is, but it's not. There's some other reason that they want mail-in voting. What do you think that is? President Trump seems to think that mail-in voting is going to make fraud just completely wildly rampant. Now, I could see how it could, especially if they allow those ballot harvesters where you know people are paid to go door to door and collect your ballots and make sure that you have them filled out right before they take it in for you. Or you could see that, you know, there's literally millions of people on the voter rolls in different localities that don't live in those localities anymore. And of course, you know, tons and tons of dead people still on the voter rolls that were never removed after they died. Maybe that's why the mail-in voting. Maybe it is for fraudulent reasons. Maybe it's just to get more ballots out there. I don't know. I really, I, I can't see a legitimate reason for the, the left side of the political aisle to suddenly be pushing for mail-in voting so hard. I mean, I totally get that it's easy. It, it really is easy. And I, I think I... I need to make a clarification here. Mail-in voting versus absentee ballots. Yes, absentee ballots are submitted via the mail. But you requested that. 
You went to the registrar's office. You got that ballot. You're expecting it. I'm talking about the the massive mail-in voting where ballots are just mailed to everybody on the voter rolls. I think that's a terrible, terrible thing. And uh, I talked with one of my coworkers earlier today, Ray, um, just a, a little bit about it. And he agreed with me that it was a bad idea. So I invited him on the show and he's going to be here in the second half, the second segment. And we're going to talk about some of the, uh, well, not only the, the nefarious is the term he used, not only the nefarious reasons that could be behind the push for mail-in voting, but just the other problems with massive mail-in voting from the eyes of two people who work for the post office. So I hope this doesn't get us in trouble. We're not being partisan about it. We're talking about an issue. So hopefully we're not going to break any rules and get ourselves in trouble. Before we get into that, I want to talk just a little bit about some other things I've seen in the news regarding voting. Uh, so just today on the news on two different stations, I heard some uh, pundit say that there's no evidence of voter fraud. And that kind of made me laugh. So I had to find some examples. And there are two very prominent examples I'm going to give. One was uh, in North Carolina, where a GOP operative what has been indicted for crimes via vote harvesting. And here in Pennsylvania, a... Uh, an elections judge just pled guilty to multiple counts of election fraud and taking bribes from uh, the, from the Democrats. So you got a, a GOP guy down in North Carolina and a Democratic guy up here in Pennsylvania, both very recent, both high enough in their organizations that they could have caused some serious damage. So this is a not partisan issue. Voter fraud does exist. And those who say it doesn't need to read a newspaper or something because it's there. Is it widespread and rampant? Nobody knows. But to say that it doesn't exist is just a bold-faced lie. My friend Jamil. You all remember Jamil from previous episodes. I've mentioned him many times and he came in and talked about the the Middle East with me for one of our early episodes. Jamil is liberal. And Jamil wrote an opinion piece that he shared with me. And he didn't think I was going to like it, but which was weird. I, it, I thought it was brilliantly written. Um, anyway, he suggested that voter ID is, is necessary because any voter fraud is too much voter fraud. But he went into why those laws have been struck down so many times. And basically the answer is we need to create a free identification or we need to offer the information needed to get a free voter ID. So if you need a certified copy of your birth certificate in order to get a ID to vote, then that certified copy of the birth certificate should be supplied for free. And it really made a lot of sense. It's a great article. 
um, you know, I'll uh, I'll get his permission and I'll post it up on the social medias so that you can see it. But we're almost out of time for this segment. Be right back in just a moment with my friend Ray, and we're going to talk about mail-in voting as mailmen. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Just call 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. A little over a year ago, I got so frustrated with progressive society that I wrote a short book called Progress. Really? You can buy my book on Amazon for $5.99 in the paperback form, $0.99 in an ebook, Or go to liberty-lighthouse.com, sign up to be a member, and download it from the file shares page for free. Progress, really? Just questions. At what point is progress not really progress anymore? You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Welcome back to the Liberty Lighthouse. Thank you very much for sticking around through the break. Now joining us, we have my friend and co-worker, Ray. Say hi, Ray. Hello. Good evening, Peter. Okay, so I have you here because I want to talk about mail-in voting and our perspectives as, you know, postal workers as to whether or not that's a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) I don't don't think that's... (laughs) Actually, um, we had that conversation today. Um, and today I got a voting notice for a deceased lady. Nice. Yeah. Now, uh, for clarification, we are in Pennsylvania. We both work out of the same post office and in Pennsylvania this year, uh, it is not mail-in voting like they're doing in California where they're sending everybody a ballot in Pennsylvania. You have to request your mail-in vote, your mail-in ballot. So this deceased person apparently requested a ballot. Is, is is unless it wasn't a ballot, it was something else from that office. I mean, it was the same envelope that we've been getting hundreds of, you know, for the past right. two weeks. I, I actually, but it is rather yeah, fishy. I had one a week or so ago for a, a deceased person. Um, I've had several that were uh, UTF unable to forward for those that don't work for the post office. Uh, a UTF. Yeah is uh if you move you know that forwarding thing only goes on for like uh actually forwards for a year and then for six more months it'll get returned to you with a with a sticker on it that says hey this is their new address so by the time we get it and write utf on it that means that person hasn't lived there for 18 months you got it and i've had lots of those from the uh county board of elections or whatever the heck that office is called I would say that I've UTF'd at least 20 since they've been making the rounds. Now, let's put aside for a minute the fact that here in Pennsylvania, you have to request that ballot and talk about just mistakes. I mean, we are human beings. We work for the post office, and the post office also makes mistakes. So I read uh, in my research for this show that the average mail carrier carries uh, or sorry, 2,000 pieces of mail a day on average. That's a light day. <laughs> now, in that 2,000 pieces of mail, how many times do you think you, you didn't catch the name or you put it in your neighbor, the neighbor's mailbox or, you know, same number, different street or something like that? I know I do that 
on average. You know, I'm not going to toot my own horn and say that I'm a you know a errorless um, carrier, but I I make you know one or two mistakes a day, not necessarily the same mistake, but um, you know you're in a rush. Um, you may look at a piece of mail and think that it's or current address, you know, because you've gotten, you know, 15 prior to that, that were or current address. So you throw it in the box and the following day you go out there and it's sticking out, does not live here, yeah. you know, but yeah. Okay. So let's just say two a day. So if we're doing 2000 pieces of mail a day and, uh, we make two mistakes a day, that is, you know, that's a point zero one percent failure rate which is pretty freaking awesome i mean in any other industry that would be you know uh hall of fame worthy it's serviceable but even at two mistakes a day if those mistakes happen to be ballots like here's the thing there's a whole lot of people out there that think that mail-in ballot is by itself is going to cause fraud that it's it's an easy way for that crooks to just you know put in fifteen votes. I guess I don't know. I look right. at it as to just the not organized fraud. But what about the hey, I got my ballot and I got one for the guy who used to live here. Hmm. Um, right. Nefarious actions aside, just the the opportunity for mistakes like that, um, you know, are. They're they're there, you know. It, it it could be no ill intent, but it could happen, you know. And, and with something as important as an election, whether it be the general election or your local elections, you know, it's that's something that I don't want to. You know, I'm I'm a carrier, so I know how easy it is to make those little mistakes. But when it comes to something like that, that's not something that I want to. You know, I don't want to put my faith in some right. I go to myself and, you know, punch the hole or check the box or push the button, whatever you got to do. I, I agree. And not only that, but I mean, the more people that handle the ballot in this case, the more chances there are for mistakes. If, right. if you go in and somebody hands you a ballot and there've been, you know, here in Pennsylvania, you got one person who hands it to you and two other people check it off to make sure that you've got the right number and all that kind of stuff and then you vote and then you put it in right. a little computer tabulator thing yourself so once it's right. handed to you you're the only one touching it right if it's going through the mail oh. you know it's it, it after you fill it out and put it in the mailbox you and i as mail carriers we pick it up we take it back to to the post office where it gets sorted and touched by some clerk and loaded onto some truck by some third person taken to some distribution center where it's loaded into a big sorting machine by a fourth person and then loaded back onto another truck by a fifth person and taken to that post office by a sixth person and then delivered by yet a seventh person. Right. I, when, when advocates for this whole process, think about it. You know, Pelosi said this, you know, it's going to be error-proof, whatever. They, somebody outside of the post office who doesn't see the day-to-day I mean, mail ballots aside, um, I personally daily have three to four inches of letters or flats, magazines um, that are for, you know, surrounding cities, 
60, 40, I mean, other states even. Yeah. I had one, you know, so if some, I, I had one today for, uh, oh, where was it? I don't know. It was, it was some resort town in California. And for some reason, the right. postmaster wouldn't let me but, deliver it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but for people outside of the post office that, you know, they think that I'm going to give it to my carrier and then boom, it's going to appear at the, the ballot station or wherever they're doing these tallies. You know, you got to think about how many, you know, the numerous amount of hands and pieces of machinery that it's going to, you know, pass through. Right. Um, and it's, there's, there's plenty of wiggle room for um, mistakes or even mechanical errors. I mean, you've seen some of the letters that we've gotten that just get completely shredded by those oh, machines. Oh, yeah, in half. Um, yeah, the yeah. other half comes tomorrow, you know? <laughs> right, right. All right, so let's just pause for a second. Let's look at just the sheer volume of what the post office does. Okay. So the, the United States Post Office, this is taken straight from UPS or USPS.gov. Uh, they process 471 million pieces of mail every day. And at the same time, we process 4,221 brand new addresses every day. And then in addition to those 4,221 brand new addresses, we also process 118,152 address changes every day. So... Yeah. Trying to keep up with with just people moving is right. It's pretty, you know, it's a pretty awesome task by itself. Right. Let alone the burden of something as important as what about here. So just on Tuesday morning, before I went to work, I was sitting, I was watching Newsy, um, and Newsy reported that just on Tuesday, that a letter was delivered to, to Notre Dame U that was postmarked 1947. So that letter, it you know, fell behind somebody's desk or got stuck in a machine or somewhere for, uh, what is that, 80 years, 70 years, something like that? Yeah. I mean, this was a letter from a from a father to his daughter, who was in her nineties by the time she got the letter. But imagine if that were a ballot, right? And you know, that's just—I mean—the the sheer drastic number of years, I'm sure, is what made that newsworthy. But I mean, I've gotten—I told you, you know, earlier today that I had a letter that was, you know, from 2010 that got sorted into my my uh, letter tray so i mean I, i'm not sure where it was at for you know the past 10 years but it was somewhere yeah the, and, i mean our, our, you know our, it goes for you know days months i mean yeah our postmaster said that when he was working at the uh, i don't know, the, the plant the distribution plant the or i don't remember where he said he was working but while he was there they rochester they found i, I don't know did he work in rochester <laughs> Yeah. All right. So when he was working in Rochester, they found a letter from the the 1980s. So I mean, it, it happens. It happens. Yeah. I wouldn't say regularly, but it, it happens often enough that it's not really surprising. All right. right. 
and again, this, these are just common mistakes that happen. Um, you know, somebody's moving a tub and a letter falls out, it slides underneath the machine. This is not even counting the, the so-called nefarious actions that are the, the potential, you know, for these, you know, okay. deeds. So more of, like, just stuff. Okay, so Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, in this, in their last election, just uh, last month, they had over four thousand ballots that weren't counted because of mail and computer problems. And in that four thousand ballots, sixteen hundred of them were found at a mail processing center. Untallied, huh? Yep. Ballots yeah. that had been filled out. And got to the processing center and, you know, shoved into a corner or something forgotten about until after the fact. So, I mean, that's again, like even without the nefarious possibilities, there's just mistakes. Right. Yeah, I I don't. This is, you know, just my opinion. I don't feel comfortable leaving that up to somebody else, you know. When, when I get those, I mean, it's, you, you deal with so much mail every day long, you know, you're, you're touching all these different, you know, bills and uh, credit card statements and, uh, you know, DMV envelopes. But when you see that, you know, it, 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 it registers differently with you because you, you understand the importance of it. You know, I mean, some people may scoff at that idea, but I mean, there's not many things that the average citizen you know, of age can do that actually means something. And, you know, that, that is, that's one thing that they can do is vote and leaving that up to, you know, the, the chain of custody from your carrier to a processing plant to another carrier, you know, and just on down the line, that's, that's, there's far too much room for, you know, mistakes to be made. And, you know, how, how many ballots did you say were left in the processing center? 1600. I mean that could swing an election, you know. That's oh easily. That's that that's a big deal. So all right. So other like I don't know. The I, I think the chain of custody is the biggest uh non nefarious issue that we have with the post office. The idea that the ballot goes through so many hands. Right. And like I like I just tallied, you know, between the carrier picking it up and the clerk at the at the that office and then distribution center and then to the next truck and then to that clerk and then to that carrier. I I would guess that the average is somewhere between seven and ten people touch every piece of mail. Easily. So that's I would say that's conservative. And that's you know, every every one of those is an opportunity for a mistake. Right. So then you got nefarious stuff. So everybody knows that the post office employees, I don't know, I can't say that. I'm not sure everybody does know this. But we're, um, we as, as postal employees are covered under something known as the Hatch Act. I'm sure you remember that from training, right? Yes. The Hatch Act says that we as postal employees are not allowed to be partisan at all at work or while wearing the uniform or while driving a company vehicle, you know, a a government vehicle. 
or even uh, all right. So violations I've seen recently. There was a guy who uh, got his got in trouble on his Facebook page because he said something partisan in a little video that he took while he was in his government vehicle. Right. So boom, hatch hatch act violation. Um, not to mention that he's on social media while he's supposed to be working, but hatch act. That's a whole different story. Yeah. So he's a partisan. Uh, our postmaster just told me today it was, and the news article was, was from two days ago in West Virginia where a, uh, a carrier, I don't remember if it was a rural carrier or a city carrier, but a carrier was caught changing ballot requests. Um, I believe it was five ballots that he had altered in some way. Three of them he uh, had, I'm sorry, not ballots, ballot requests. So three of them were people that were requesting to receive the Democratic ballot for the Democratic primary that was coming up. And he changed their request to read they wanted to be involved in the Republican primary. Right. And then two other ones, he just wrote something on. Um, I forget what it was, but they were already going for the Republican and he you know, wrote something on it in a different colored pen. So there's another person who who's now bringing the you know bad actor part in. We're human. There are. Right. There are, uh, I forgot already, I, I forgot, I didn't write it down, uh, what, 60,000 mail carriers in the country or something like that? Oh, easily. I'm, I'm sure it's more than that. I want to say maybe it's 60,000 um, veterans are employed. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's way more than 60,000. I, I forget. I had it. I For some reason, when I was on the site, I decided that wasn't worth writing down. Probably should have. But anyway, my point being, you have that many people. In any group, I don't care what the group is, whether it's a business or whether it's, you know, a social organization, you get that many people together, there's going to be bad people in that group. Right. You know, it's it's the the team mentality, whether it be iPhone and versus Android or Xbox versus PlayStation, you know, there's 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 sides, pretty drastic sides, you know, conservative, liberal. Now, um you know, this guy was obviously Republican. Republican. Yeah, backed, you know, and I'm, I'm sure it's on both sides. There's nice people on both sides. <laughs> but <laughs> I watch it. But, yourself in trouble. Yeah. But, um, you know, th- there's there's always going to be a team mentality. And all it takes is one person that, you know, has doesn't have a moral compass, you know, to refrain from doing something like that. And if it's a postal person, you know. There you go. That's a recipe for disaster. Okay, so let's look at it just a little bit. Let's let's step away from from we the postal people, okay, and, and talk just the process itself. I am not against it, uh, absentee ballots. There's a whole lot of people out there that are conflating absentee ballots with with mail ballots. Voting. Yeah. Yep. Absentee ballots, you as the registered voter have to go to your election office and request that absentee ballot. Right. And so therefore you're expecting that absentee ballot. And when you get it, you can fill it out and you can actually track it. Like once once you 
send it in. You can make sure that it processes. Even so, there's a ton of people who put in absentee ballot requests for, uh, I don't know, I guess it's a permanent request, like a, an ongoing absentee ballot request. Right. And and how often do you have people on your route move and not give you an update of uh, <laughs> updated address? Uh, um, I mean, it, sometimes it's as common as once a month. Yeah. I got five of them from people who had all moved months earlier when news came out about the $1,200 stimulus check. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a whole other bag of worms that we don't have the time to get into. Five okay. people who had moved months ago yep. did not want their mail, and then all of a sudden I got I, I got uh, change, or, yeah, change addresses for them all. Funny thing about one of them, I remember specifically getting the change of address the day after I sent their stimulus check back. <laughs> I, I had one person actually track me down. They, they didn't live on my route anymore, but they drove, parked behind my vehicle, and asked me if I had their check. <laughs> yeah, that's so, just funny. Yeah. And, and by the way, I looked it up. There are 75,000 letter carriers. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. So, so absentee ballot, fine. Basically, what Pennsylvania has done has extended the absentee ballot process where now anybody can request that ballot but they've almost made it too easy because these people are requesting their ballots and they're not verifying their addresses and whatever they're they're like go online click 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 and their ballots are getting sent to old addresses right so between the elections of 2012 and the last election of 2018, it's estimated that 28 million absentee mail-in ballots disappeared. That Now, granted, a large majority of those are probably people who just didn't fill it out, decided not to vote that time, those times, whatever. But we don't know that. Yeah, 28 million, that's a pretty large assumption. Now, here's where I get serious issues when it comes to automatic mail-in mail -in ballot. Um, according to the Washington Times in February of 2020, if you want to look, look it up, Florida, the state of Florida, has seven counties with more registered voters than they have citizens of voting age. Yeah. In that same article, it said there were five counties in Colorado and one in Michigan with that same more registered voters than legal age citizens. Now, that was just from February of this year. Right. The Public Interest Legal Foundation in August of last year spelled out 244 counties in 28 states and the District of Columbia that have more registered voters than they have citizens of voting age. 244 counties. It takes, going even further, 
in that same article, there's another 279 counties in 31 states that have a completely implausible registration rate of 95 to 99% of their voting age citizens. Nationwide, that, that rate, by the way, the registration rate is about 66%. Okay. So you got a 30, 30% bump. Right. In, in 279 counties. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure there are counties that are very politically active and almost everybody registers to vote. Um, I seriously doubt there are 279 of them. Right. So that brings in the not uh, the the possibility again of more nefarious activity because chances are they have so many registered voters compared to citizens because they have haven't cleaned their voter rolls in decades. So anybody who died in the last ten years is still listed as a voter. People who have moved out of the district are still listed as voters. Like. I, that's my big problem with mail-in voting, to be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, just the, the clerical errors like that. I mean, again, giving the benefit of the doubt that no nefarious action is taking place. You know, like the memes of, you know, the 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 ballot enrollees at the at the cemetery. You know, like we're here to we're here to sign you up. But that that, that aside, you know, just just a, a clerical lapse. You know, lack of um, lack of manpower to clean the rolls. You know. Um, you know, I'm not in the election committee, so I have no idea how, how that goes, but you would think that when somebody passes away, who's registered, you know, a, a new tenant moves into that place, they register under that address that it should kick it out or raise a flag or some, some kind of, you know, um, system for something like that. But I mean, I guess that's just, that's a pipe dream. Yeah. So, all right, what I would actually like to see, and, and most people are going to think I'm crazy and say, oh, my God, that's, you, know, you can't do that. That's, that's ter- terrible. Um, all right, before I get into that, one more, one more mail-related uh, mistake. Uh, Essex County, New Jersey, again, just their last, their last election, had almost two, I'm sorry, yeah, almost 2,000 ballots delivered to the Board of Elections two weeks after the election. So again, they sat in, you know, a distribution center or something and got basically lost for two weeks. Right. Okay. So my idea, um, I think that voter registration should be a one year thing and expire every year. And if you want to vote again, you register again. Yeah. Like your, like your automobile registration. Yeah. I mean, and that way, when you move, hey, look, now you registered in the the new place. And your old place, you drop off because you didn't re-register. It's the only way to keep voter registration clean. I mean, it makes sense, but it making sense is the reason that it's not happening. But that means it'll never work. Right. You know, and then for these, um, you know, mainly the absentee ballots, because, you know, how often does a pandemic actually happen? But now this is going to put a, a huge burden on the post office. But we talked about that whole chain of custody thing. And if you think about registered mail, something as important as a ballot, you know, being sent 
through the registered mail. So the, the chain of custody is, you know, thoroughly followed. Um, but again, you know, the pandemic with the number of people that have to do this mail-in slash absentee ballot, you know, it's it's going to put a pretty large strain on the post office. But in general, in untrying times, you know, when, when things are back to normal, if they ever get back to yep. normal, are registered. Ignore this. Ignore the strain on the post office for a minute. Look at the financial strain that puts on the election board. What's it cost them to send a registered letter, like 12 bucks or something like that? Yeah. Anyway, time's up. Got to go. Thank you very much for your call, Ray. I appreciate your time. No problem. And uh, talk to you Saturday. I'll see you Saturday, Pete. Bye. All right, later. Okay, that was my friend and coworker, fellow mail carrier, Ray. Uh, glad he could talk. But like I just said to him, we are out of time. So come back to the Liberty Lighthouse next Friday, 6 p.m. next Friday, 6 p.m. every Friday. And until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call 64 my rights to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about Liberty Lighthouse and wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated.